All right. Well, first of all, thanks, Gabe, for reading that. Obviously, it was a, a long one. Had some fun names to try to throw out there. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Um, as uh, Andrew said, my name is Jared, and I've had, honestly, just the, the great, great privilege of being able to serve here at Providence for the last couple of years. And I know I didn't get to talk to a majority of you on Christmas Eve uh, this past Tuesday, uh, so I do want to take this opportunity just to say that I hope you guys had an absolutely awesome Christmas, that you had some great time just spending with, uh, with family, friends, uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior. Now, before we get into the passage this morning, I do want to just say something on a personal note, and that is just, it is an absolute blessing and a privilege to be, up, be able to be up here this morning and just to open God's Word with you. Um, <laughs> to say that I've been humbled by this experience is, is definitely an understatement. And so I'm just, I'm thankful to be able to share all this with you. And uh, I mean, you guys are my family and I can't think of a better place I'd rather be right now. So if you would please just bow your uh, hearts with me in prayer before we begin. Father, this morning we just marvel at the incredible majesty of your creation. The enormity and the, just the complexity of the universe and all that it contains is enough to baffle even the most brilliant minds among us. And yet, you possess an intimate knowledge of each and every one of us. You know the deepest desires of our hearts. You know the greatest needs. You know our joys. You know our sorrows. We're fearfully and wonderfully made in your sight, Lord. And we just thank you for loving us so well and allowing us to gather here this morning. And so, Father, as we, we open your word this morning, I just ask that, as Pastor Andrew so often pleads, that you would give us soft minds, or excuse me, soft hearts and sharp minds so that the scalpel of your word would be allowed to do whatever it needs to do in order to draw us near to you this morning. We thank you for your holy presence here this morning, and we ask your blessing on our time together. We pray this all in your name, Father. Amen. All right, so it's no secret, um, as uh, it was kind of alluded to already, that 2020 is uh, very, very close. Um, I keep hearing people say, well, boy, the new year really snuck up on me this year. But let's be honest, doesn't January 1st come about the same time every year? Yeah, <laughs> and yet, yet we're still like, whoa, where'd you come from? Um, <laughs> so one of the things synonymous with January 1st is just the idea of a fresh start. And what's one of the things that most people do with that fresh start? Andrew kind of alluded to it before, we make resolutions. So January 1st is that day when we're going to start eating more healthy. We're going to start losing weight. Unless, of course, you're among the hardcore celebrators, then you wait till about 1.47 on January 2nd. Then you go ahead and start your resolution. Uh, but maybe it's a big new, uh, new career change that you're looking forward to in the new year, or you want to uh, you know, work on investing in relationships of some kind. For us as believers, maybe it looks like we are going to uh, incorporate some kind of a new spiritual discipline into our life, or multiple. You know, maybe we want to be focused on praying more often or incorporating that into our day more regularly. We're going to fast more often. Or as Andrew pointed out, we're going to, maybe we've never actually read through the Bible from cover to cover, and so that's something that you want to throw yourself into this year. Now, January 1st looks a little bit different for each person. Now, in recent years, my wife's family has taken on a new practice of, instead of focusing on resolutions, we've focused on choosing one word that we want to kind of wrap our year around. Now, that's led to some very interesting conversations and uh, just a lot of insight into not only looking back on the previous year, but looking forward to the new one. Now, my word, for example, this year is going to be to execute, which simply means that I want to do a better job of finishing, of really seeing through things through their conclusion. Now, I'm typically, I'm, I'm a pretty solid starter when it comes to a project around the house or a business idea or even just you know, a really profound thought. I'm really good at getting it going, but I'd always do the best job of um, 
Do you guys ever wonder why sharks don't swim backwards? <laughs> you get my point. All right, so... Now, we often focus our New Year's efforts on, ch on changes that we're going to make in our finite lives. But this morning, I want to call our attention to a beginning that is of much more infinite value, and that's our relationship with God himself. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, there's a lot of people that will kind of push back a little bit and say, well, hang on, I've already been saved. I've already come to faith. Why do I need a new beginning? Why? Well, I want you to relax, don't panic. I'm not suggesting that you need to re-up on your salvation or that your membership runs out on the 31st or anything like that. So you can just chill for a little bit, it's okay. What I am saying though is that maybe whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you might've found yourself deliberately rebelling against the life that God has called you to. Or even you found yourself carelessly and even mindlessly just allowing yourself to be swept into the current of our society, moving away from the things of God. Or maybe it's a hurt, a distraction, something that has created a gradual separation between you and, and God and between you and the, uh, the people in the family of God that you've held so dear. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but is that anyone's story in 2019? I mean, is that anyone's story last week? I mean, I would raise my hand to that. My point is that much like God's people in our passage today, a new beginning isn't just a good suggestion. It's actually something that we truly need. We need to recenter our lives on both who and what is of the utmost importance. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why can't we just continue to move forward and do life as normal? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you why. Uh, let me paint you a quick picture. Do we have any, any hunters in the room? Any shooters? Okay, got a handful, good. So you guys will get this. The rest of you will come talk to me later, it's fine. Um, so an expert marksman can have his rifle dialed in perfectly. So that way he's precisely accurate at both short distances and long distances. But if that scope gets bumped or jostled even a little bit, that hunter is not gonna be hitting the mark. In fact, he may even be missing his target altogether, which especially when you're dealing realistically with firearms, that's a dangerous thing. Sometimes, folks, our spiritual, scope, our spiritual scope gets bumped as well. Sometimes that's by the sin in our lives. Sometimes that's just by the ways of the world. And it's either us or the people around us that are hurt by it. So just going back to what I emphasized a minute ago, if we are going to get back on target with Jesus this year, if we're going to live out our time on earth becoming more like him, we need a new beginning. So that brings us to our first point this morning, and that's new, be new beginnings with God are possible no matter where we are. New beginnings with God are possible no matter where we are. Now that should be relatively good news to us because that means that God is fully ready to give us a new beginning no matter where we are or what kind of a mess we find ourselves in. So let's go ahead and take a look back at the first six verses of Ezra 3 one more time here. It says, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord." burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written and offered daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. 
And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all, at all appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So, just to kind of get a little bit of a background so we kind of understand what's going on here, this is just kind of a recap of, of chapters one and two. The nation of Israel was just in a really bad spot at this point. The Assyrians had essentially kind of you know, wiped out the northern kingdom, and Judah had fallen victim to Nebuchadnezzar, who had pretty much destroyed Jerusalem and, and with that, the temple itself, and drugged the Jews into captivity in Babylon, something that uh, Gabe actually referenced for us last week. Now, after about 50 years, King Cyrus issued a decree that basically allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem. Now, 50 years is a long time to be doing life in one place. And even if the conditions aren't ideal, it still feels like a little bit of a risk to pack up and move toward the unknown, even if it's, we know it's something better. Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that a lot of us in the room can probably re- kind of relate with that feeling. You know, maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship, and you know you need to get out, but you also know that that breakup is going to be kind of nasty. Or it's a toxic work environment. You know, you spend 40 hours a week having just the life sucked out of you, but it's easier than trying to go through and update your resume and fill out applications. But as scary as it probably is, and as uncomfortable as it is to, you know, we want to, as much as we want to stay with that, what we call a familiar misery, it's always better to head towards something better, even if we know and, you know, we know it's the wise move. Now, roughly 50,000 people actually responded to Cyrus's decree, and they moved back across the desert to Jerusalem. But when they got there, it definitely was not the land that they remembered. As we said before, I mean, it had been absolutely destroyed. And then you throw about 50 years of neglect on top of that. So it was just a mess when they got there. Not to mention, as, as Gabe mentioned the, uh, in the reading this morning, that there was another people group that had moved in. And they were giving the Jews some pretty dirty looks when they, when they rolled back into town. So, I want you to put yourself, put yourself in the sandals of the Jewish people here for a second and just imagine what that must have been like, just the chaos and the destruction. And, you know, they're probably asking questions like, well, yeah, I know this is where God once dwelt, but is he still here? I know this, I know that we are God's chosen people, but man, we really blew it. We worshiped idols. We treated God worse than an afterthought. Does he even want us anymore? Are we so different? I mean, how many in this room today can make similar claims or ask similar questions when someone encourages us to move toward God? You know, you get that pushback, but yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You haven't heard the things that I've said. You haven't been in my mind to see the thoughts that, that, have, that have run through there. I mean, could God still use me? Would he want to? I mean, look at me, I'm basically damaged goods. And you're right, I don't know what you've done. You've probably done some pretty jacked up things this year. But I also know about a man named David. This guy was guilty of adultery, of manipulation, of murder. And yet he was still called a man after God's own heart. And as we learned in the genealogy of Matthew's gospel a few weeks ago, Jesus came from his royal lineage. I know about a guy named Peter. He's a blue collar guy who's, who honestly, his mouth wrote a lot of checks that his actions couldn't cash. This guy that was nicknamed The Rock, a man who claimed he would never deny his Lord, would never abandon his Lord, tapped out when he was confronted by a servant girl, swearing up and down that he didn't even know who Jesus was. 
And yet after his resurrection, Jesus reinstated him, not just as the third string water boy for the team, but actually as an official spokesperson and powerhouse in the early church. Now they say all good things comes in three, so I'm gonna give you one more here. What about Saul? This guy sought to basically shut down everything, including this, uh, that was revolved around this itinerant preacher, Jesus, and his followers. He condoned the imprisonment and murder of Christians. Can I get a show of hands? Who did that this year? Okay, so if you did, you need to come talk to me. (laughs) But this guy was everything anti-Jesus to say the least. In fact, he was actually on his way to Damascus to unleash even more fury when Jesus literally knocked this man off his high horse. God saw fit to have mercy on him and turn him into probably the greatest evangelist that this world has ever known. Now, guys, these men did not deserve a new beginning, not even close. And yet God in his goodness and mercy found them in their chaos and destruction and he gave them one anyway. So this leads me to ask a hard and maybe even an offensive question. After seeing these stories, how arrogant do we have to be to believe that we can outsend the grace of God? We can't. I I mean, I can assure you that. There is nothing in your history book that contains a deal-breaking offense. He wants you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to repent. Now, we don't have to turn around and trudge our way back through all the gunk that led us to where we're at right now. We don't have to earn our way back into his good graces by cleaning up our language or by kicking that addiction that we've struggled with for longer than we care to admit. But what I will say is this, there is one thing that we must do, and that's that we must begin at the cross. So that brings us into point number two, and that's that new beginnings with God must begin with Jesus, and they must begin at the cross. Now, if we go back to our text briefly, We actually see in verse two that the first thing that the leaders Joshua and Zerubbabel did when they got there and they saw the pile of rubble, the first thing they did was to rebuild the altar. So that way, when everybody got back to Jerusalem, they were actually encouraged, they were inspired. But why the altar? Why not build up the walls of the temple, build the structure of the temple, and then plunk that altar right down in the middle? The answer itself is very simple, but it's infinitely important. And that's because our fundamental need, if we want to draw near to the throne of God, is forgiveness of sins. If we look back further in the Old Testament to the books of Exodus and Leviticus, we actually see that God designed the altar so that the one bringing the sacrifice would be made right before him and have his sins forgiven. You probably heard it said here before that the whole of the Old Testament actually points us toward Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you just feel this rumbling. Now, maybe that's your stomach and maybe you need to go get a donut. But (laughs) I'm hoping it's a rumbling in your soul and that a new beginning with God is something that you truly do seek. Look at me. You must begin at the cross because the cross is where Jesus spent, he shed his precious blood for my sins and for yours. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So that being said, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your way back into God's favor again. There's no number of good deeds that's going to give you his grace. In fact, Paul actually says in Ephesians, he said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
in the power of what Jesus did on the cross. And that the salvation afforded to us is not the result of any good thing that we have done. So we have absolutely nothing to boast about. Now, if that's you this morning, I encourage you to put aside all of the excuses and the reasons and the lies that Satan would put in your heart as to why God couldn't or wouldn't want you. The ground is always level at the foot of the cross, and it doesn't matter where you are right now spiritually or how scarred your past is. There is not a one of us in this room this morning that is in any less need of the grace of God than another. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind, that counted for you. Paul says that if we, basically if we believe in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose from the dead, we will be saved. And that is good news. I strongly encourage you, if that is you, before you leave this morning, talk with one of the pastors. Talk with one of the leadership team. Don't leave here without your questions being answered. Allowing one of us to talk through this with you, to pray with you. Because believe me, it's the most important and life-giving decision you'll ever make. Now, on the other hand, I know for a fact, <clears throat> I know for a fact that there's a lot of people in the room that would already call themselves Christians. But maybe you have, as I alluded to earlier, you strayed away a little bit. Well, the good news is that the cross is still the place for you too. The seasoned believer is in need of the gospel every bit as much as the unbeliever. So if you are a follower of Christ, I want you to ask yourself something, and I want you to be totally honest. Have you moved away from the cross? Have you moved on from the gospel? You know, once upon a time, did you accept Jesus' free gift of grace, but as of late, has your life just been characterized by just a white-knuckle, try-harder, do-better approach to try to get your way into God's approval? Guilty. I think that's why 1 John 1, 9 is so refreshing and such good news. He says, if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so with that in mind, believer, I would definitely encourage you and plead with you to live every single day at the foot of the cross as well. Like Jordan read to us this morning, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Christian, grab onto those, embrace those, and hang onto them with every bit of strength that you have. So our road thus far has seen us pulled from kind of the muck and the mire of our former lives and led by one means or another to the foot of the cross. We've received this new life in Jesus or we found ourselves renewed in his, in his love. So what next? I mean, what does this actually look like moving forward? And that brings us to a final point this morning. And that's that new life in Christ means that we keep our focus on him and becoming more like him through obedience to his word. That's a long one, so I'm not going to repeat that. You're just going to have to remember it. <laughs> so going back to our text one more time, how did the Jews know how to set up the altar in the temple? Why did they celebrate the Feast of Booths? It's because these things had been written down for them in the law of God, and they were to adhere to them. Verse 2, we see the phrase, as it is written in the law of Moses. Later in verse 4, as it is written. Fast forward to verse number 10. It says that they praised the Lord as, as they did according to the directions of David, king of Israel. Now, they just weren't making this stuff up on the fly. They didn't go based on what you know, felt good or felt right or what was true for them. They didn't put out a, you know, a little uh, 
thing on social media for the sake of you know, conducting a poll to see how people wanted to do things this time around. And they could have very easily tossed out the old way of, of doing things in favor of a more contemporary, culture-friendly type way. But they didn't. They had the word of the Lord right in front of them, which was instructing them how to do things, and they didn't stray from it. So what does that look like for us? You know, let's start right here, right now, in corporate worship. When it comes to the way that we worship, are we doing it in a way that's biblical, in a way that's God-honoring? Are the lyrics that we sing on the stage in the morning, whether it's a contemporary song or an old hymn, are they biblical? Are the words preached from this stage, are they in line with God's truth? And if they're not, they have absolutely no place here, even if it means putting more butts in the seats on a Sunday morning. Can I say butts in church? Is that okay? Panel says yes. Okay. I think that's why I'm so thankful for our pastors and our worship team, though, because I think they do a phenomenal job of keeping us on the straight and narrow in that regard. So what about Monday through Saturday then? When it comes to living as God's people, that the, the structure doesn't change. We still must first go to God's word for direction, not treating it like so many people do as just a list of suggestions to consider, but actually commands to obey and to follow. Again, people are going to push back and they say, that's an old book. And those things are heavy. You, you can't really expect us to uphold that standard. You're kind of asking a lot, aren't you? I mean, be a little more reasonable. Let me put it to you this way. God is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He has created the most brilliant star in the night sky all the way down to the smallest cell in your body. I think that gives him just a little bit of authority to, you know, to tell us how he thinks we should live. To do it in a way that's going to draw, draw us closer to him and that's going to be most life-giving for us. So not only did he exercise his rightful authority back then when it was written, but as 13, Hebrews 13.8 tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Roughly saying, that means that his word is exactly like that. What he said then is true then, is true now, and always will be true. Guys, God's moral commands don't adapt to the moral changing climate. Just, I mean, as an example, he hasn't softened his views on sexual immorality. He doesn't sit back and say, well, you know, if you want to go ahead and just live together before you get married and take a trial run at it, make sure it's legit, yeah, that's fine, go ahead. God's not going to put his stamp on something that he just straight up said in his Bible was not permissible. Now, I know that sometimes things like that can sting and they can maybe make you a little bit hostile. I know that because I was that guy. I hated having people roll up in my business and tell me that I was doing life wrong. But when I realized those people were doing it out of love and that they were telling me that I was doing life contrary to God's word, it changed the horizon for me completely. And so I know that I wouldn't take the risk of standing up here and sharing that very same thing with you if I didn't have the absolute utmost love in my heart for each and every one of you. Providence, the world is going to do all that it can to convince you to abandon the words in this book and the God who put them there just for the sake of getting with the times. But I plead with you and I will gladly callous my knees in prayer that you do the exact opposite. Paul said it a lot more eloquently than I ever could. He said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Church, you will never know all that God has for your life and the blessings he has in store for you if you live life the way the world tells you to. I mean, I'll just shoot straight with you. As good as it may look initially at face value, you're gonna be trading marginally good for amazingly God. There is no comparison and I don't want that for you. And I think that's why it's so important that we lock arms as believers in the coming year and we trek through God's word together. God gave us his word so that not only would we know him and that we would understand the narrative of his, of his redemption, but also to show us just how to become more like his son and to glorify his name through obedience to him. The, living, the word of God is living and active and it picks apart all those little things in our lives and just exposes all those ways that maybe we're straying from him and that we need to grow closer. As I said before, you know, we all stand together on level ground at the foot of the cross. So no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, whether it's five seconds or five decades, maybe you've read the Bible cover to cover 18 times, or maybe you've never even flipped open the cover. But regardless, the Holy Spirit can and will, I guarantee you, illuminate the scriptures in new and powerful ways to those who are seeking him. And as we launch into this new year, this is just a really real and practical way for us to support our new beginning with God, whatever that looks like for you at this stage in life. And so I definitely encourage you to take that journey with us. Now, if you're still not convinced, I want you to think of it this way, and this is gonna be my last little word picture for you. God's word is not meant to be something just sitting on our desk collecting dust that we'll pull out periodically for a good story or inspiration for a new coffee cup. It's meant to be prayerfully read, to marinate in. We're like a man who owns a plot of land that contains a silver mine. In and of itself, that plot of land is incredibly valuable. But the greatest profit to that man and to the people around him comes when he actually mines out all of that silver. The same is true with the word of God. It is priceless in its value but the greatest glory to God is given when we work out our salvation with deep reverence before God and live in line with being the church he has called us to be. So guys, we come to a close this morning. I just wanna, I wanna bring us back full circle to where we began. Yes, we are moving on to a brand new year this coming Wednesday, but I wanna leave you with this. Please do not let a calendar dictate when you make your new beginning with God. He is right here right now waiting for you to come to him, whether it's January 1st or September 17th. He even says that he stands right at the door of our heart and he knocks and will gladly come in and give us a new life and give us a new beginning. All we have to do is open the door. So if you do hear him knocking this morning, no matter your life stage or circumstances, Please open the door. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you are the God of new life and new beginnings. Thank you that you never stop pursuing us, that you come to us right where we are, that you made a way for us in the cross of Jesus. You've shown us in your word just how we can grow to become more like your son and just a little more every day. 
Thank you that as we said before, your mercies are new every single morning so that no matter where we are and what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought, that you wait for us with open arms of grace and mercy. And with that in mind, I pray that we as a church family would not only actively and intentionally pursue you, but also intentionally turn away from, intentionally repent of those things which grieve your heart, Father. I ask your absolute blessings on our church gathered before you this morning. And may 2020 be an amazing year in which we strive by your grace to make Omaha a little more like it is in heaven. We pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen.